Hi, it's Leslie Dirksen, and I'm one of the hosts of the Compel podcast. On today's show, Marianne Bayfield, a church planner from the Philippines, is here with us to share how God has directed her to use medical work to strengthen their church plant. So welcome to the Compel podcast, how ordinary women spread the gospel story. Thanks for coming and just being willing to join us on our podcast today. So we're really excited to hear more about the Philippines and how God has used you guys to build his church there. So thanks for coming. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. Um, So first, can you just share a little bit about yourself and how you and Grant came to serve in the Philippines? Sure, sure. Um, I'm actually from Dayton, Ohio, and uh, my husband Grant is from Canada. So we met when I was in training to become a missionary at the training center in Missouri. And uh, I was just starting. I'd been there for about two months, and they had this guest speaker one morning for the chapel. And uh, he was talking about his work doing Bible translation. Um, it was a new work just starting out. They had just, you know, he'd been surveying, located the place they wanted to be, the tribe they wanted to work with. And so it was really exciting to hear as he's sharing about this work just starting up. And definitely it was the same kind of it's all along the same lines of what I wanted to do. And um, so, yeah, I was really excited about it. And then, of course, I assumed as I'm listening to all this that he was married with kids and thinking, oh, man, <laughs> you know, all the good ones are taken. But sure enough, his coworker was a single fellow. And I was like, oh, this one <laughs> is available. <laughs> so I made a point of introducing myself, of course. Um, but, yeah, just we... Uh, we messaged and phone calls, that kind of thing, long distance, because mm-hmm. he was only there for a couple days. But uh, definitely there was a spark of interest, and so we kept in contact. And after a while, uh, he asked if I wanted to come to the Philippines and kind of check things out. Mm-hmm. And Yeah, so that's how we met up. Um, but he had wanted to do missions since he was in high school. I had wanted to do missions since I was, I would say, like fourth grade. Uh, was the first time I heard a missionary speak in the church, and mm. I was just, yeah, wow, that's what I want to do. So that's really cool. Yeah. So you ended up getting married. Yes. And then- <laughs> <laughs> he proposed while we were in the Philippines, Aww. and I came back to finish my last semester of school. Yeah. And, uh, graduated the seventeenth of December. Got married the first of January. We were in the Philippines by the fourth. So wow, that's yeah. crazy. <laughs> kind of a whirlwind that was eight years so did ago. you move right into the tribe he was talking about or did you wait and learn well he had already been in there and had learned quite a bit of the language but when i joined of course i had to learn the uh, trade language mm-hmm. first so we went over there and i went into the training program it was uh january of 2013 mm-hmm. and it was a couple years of doing the language and culture study we didn't actually uh, go to the village full-time until 2015. It was June of 2015 when we were actually able to kind of go in as a family. And by then we had our daughter as well. Mm-hmm. So in the Philippines, there's a lot of islands. How many islands are there? Do you know from the top of your head? or High tide or low tide? Whoa, okay. <laughs> no, <I'm> just kidding. <laughs> there's so uh, a lot, hundred, hundreds of islands. Wow, yeah. that's crazy. How many yeah. people groups are inhabiting those islands or the mainland? Well, that's kind of... Up for debate, like I've read there's 185 languages in the Philippines. Okay. Um, but, you know, it, 
it depends on how you define it sometimes. Like I was looking, our language is sometimes lumped with a dialect that's near us that actually there kind of are a lot of differences. Mm -hmm. So it just depends on, you know, how you look at it. But there, there's a lot of language groups and um, a lot of ones that are still unreached mm -hmm. that haven't had much contact or any contact with um, Christian church or with the gospel. Mm. Yeah. And how long has Ethnos been working there? Because I think you guys have national workers. So how long has Ethnos Canada or Ethnos 360 been working in the you know, Philippines? You know, I'm not sure specifically with the Canadian branch, but in the Philippines, we have uh, missionaries from really all over, from the Faroe Islands, from Germany, mm -hmm. from Australia, New Zealand, all working uh, together. And, it, you know, it's been a number of years. Mm. But, yeah, we have an important role to play, especially with the Bible translation portion. That's an area that we can really be of help to the national workers because there are Filipino missionaries working on this too, mm -hmm. and we work side by side with them. That's yeah. really exciting. Yeah. So I love hearing that. Yeah. So you mentioned your team has been in the village since 2011, and then you guys finally were able to join them in 2015. Yeah. Um, are <laughs> you? Where is your village located? Is it located on one of these islands? Is it located in the mountains? Oh, or? sure. We are one of the few works that's actually accessible by road. Mm. It's not an easy access. It involves going up and over a mountain mm. gravel road that uh, often gets washed out. Um, but it is doable by either motorbike or a new kind of vehicle. They call it a chariot. It's mm. It looks like a motorbike in the front. It's got a cart in the back and you can pile quite a few people on there. That's what we usually take to get in and out. We um, we park our car at the highway and then take this vehicle up and into the mountain to get there. A lot of uh, fellow missionaries that are working in the Philippines, they have to go by helicopter. They don't have that option of yeah. um, coming in by road. And what is life like in the village? Like you moved in there, like mm -hmm. what are the people like? What do they do? Well, um, when the team first got there, the village where we located, they were kind of in transition. They had been nomadic living in the mountains and they were transitioning to being kind of more in one place, trying to become farmers, uh, had not seen a lot of success in that. And so we kind of joined at a critical moment and our coworkers um, had this idea about uh, starting up a corn co-op. Mm. And so that's what they're mostly doing now is corn farming. They've been very successful at it. Um, it's really improved the economy and the lives of the people in the village. They have a lot more income um, they've been able to improve their homes. When we first got there, it was all grass roofs. Now they've got tin roofs, mm. things like that. Just kind of helping them through that transition as they were uh, coming out of the living in the deep jungle to living closer to town and having that agrarian lifestyle. Hmm. Yeah. Did you have any fears? Hold on, like, because she, how old was Naomi when you moved into the? Naomi was about a year, almost two years old. Okay. When we moved, and. Yeah, there's obviously the concerns you have as a parent, things like, you know, you can't just call 911 if something happens, or um, you worry maybe about snakes or parasites or other things that <laughs> yeah. can happen in the, uh, in the jungle. But um, I'd say they were concerns, they were on our radar, but we really felt very strongly that this was where God wanted us to be. So it wasn't really like a fear or like a debilitating worry or anything. It's just we're aware of the concerns and we try to work with those. And um, it's it's been great. I mean, there's been, we've had situations where if there was 911, we would have called, but there mm -hmm. wasn't. And the Lord, you know, provided in wonderful ways for um, different situations health-wise that came up with my husband, with myself. Um, and uh, yeah, 
Naomi's been wonderfully healthy most of the time, oh, so he's really uh, taken care of us. So going back, you mentioned like one of the steps to just build a relationship with the people and mm-hmm. just kind of like pre-evangelism was community development and education mm-hmm. and then medical work. Yeah. You played a lot of, like a major part in that. Like how, what led you to begin doing medical work? I know you told uh-huh. me to do that, but how did you get involved in that? Right, right. Well, a lot of people ask me, so are you a nurse? No, <laughs> I never had that training. Um, basically, the first time I ever visited the village was when Grant and I were still dating. And he took me to see this work, you know, because he's asking me to become a part of it, you know. <laughs> um, and that very first day, a man came to me with a machete wound on his leg, and I helped to bandage him up. And every time since then that we'd go and visit, because we weren't living there full-time right away, we would come like on the weekend or something Mm -hmm. and visit, always there was somebody with an injury or an illness or something, and they're coming to me and asking me for help. Mm -hmm. And it's just interesting how it just kind of God put it on my heart. I guess I have sort of that bleeding heart kind of (laughs) nature about me. I always want to help people that are hurting, especially like babies and Mm -hmm. stuff. And um, I also have that sort of mindset. I'm one of those over planners. I have like my medicine cabinet always fully stocked. You're like a prepper. Every po- a prepper, <laughs> totally. Like every possible thing that any contingency I would I would need, you know, every possible medication. Mm. And I always have a stock supply. Yeah. I have a first aid kit in the car, you know, it's huge. And um, I just always, that's my nature because whatever. So I brought this um, over-planning Western mindset to the Philippines. And so when people come to me, I was like, well, actually, I think I have something here that might help mm. you with that cough, you know, and get some Robitussin or whatever. Um, and so I just kind of came into it. Like people just sort of, they just started coming to me mm. for these things. And um, I think it was a practical way to show love because um, for me, um, I was still in the process for, you know, two, three years of learning the trade language. Yeah. I wasn't even at a point of being able to speak to them. But if I can kind of bandage a wound and, you know, show love that way mm. and be involved, um, I think it, it does go a long ways because they know the difference between someone who's just, you know, whatever the bare minimum versus someone who's really genuinely trying to help and do everything mm. they can to save their child or, you know, help them in some way. And, um, yeah, so I think it was important, an important part of the... Um, important piece of the puzzle for mm. <laughs> creating those relationships. Now that there are believers, like, have they shared with you, like, how has that impacted their lives? Like, have mm-hmm. they anyone shared that? Um, I am still <laughs> challenged linguistically with, I, I'm, I'm in the process of learning the language, so I don't really have the that ability to freely yeah. kind of talk with folks yet. I'm working on it. Okay. I spend a couple hours every day with the language helper, but yeah, not really at that point where I can kind of chat with people Mm -hmm. as as much as I'd like. People, you know, we've seen the effects because several people who probably would not have made it, would not have survived, Mm -hmm. are still with us because of being able to get them timely medical care. Um, We've seen a lot less uh, village babies die, ones that probably would not have made it that were able to survive because we got them to the hospital. Um, We help with the transportation costs Mm -hmm. for getting them out when they need to go. Um, so I went ahead, our last furlough, I took a medical course. It was just a two-week, um, but specifically for missionaries. It was a medical intensive about how to diagnose and decide, make decisions about um, who you can help in the village versus who would need to get out to town. And that was immensely helpful to me um, because that is a big part of what I'm doing. I do the first aid, but then a lot of times I'm sending people out to uh, town. 
So, yeah. Mm. Um, do, do any of them speak the Tree language? Do they speak Tagalog? Or like when they um, go into town and go to a mm-hmm. hospital, is that hard for them? Or is that not common? Yeah, it, I would say it was a really big deal. And it still is for a lot of folks going to town. Mm. Uh, they do speak some of the trade language. Um, they are frequently in town. But when we first got there, um, probably not too comfortable going to the hospital. It was pretty rare that anyone would go to the hospital because there's the, all that awkwardness. You know, mm-hmm. they, they're from the mountains. They're around city people. Mm-hmm. They feel out of place, and they don't know where to go or what to say or who to talk to or how to act. And there's just that natural uh, desire to avoid the whole situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So having us there kind of pushing them in that direction, like, no, you really need to go in, and we will help you get there, um, and just kind of easing that transition process. So since we've been there, hundreds of people have been to the hospital and have had many successful outcomes. And I think it's been a training process for our folks, too, because now they know what to do. They know where to go. Mm. They know when they you know, get released, they're supposed to go to this window and mm. pick up the medicines. They're supposed to go over here. You know, they, They've done it often enough, and there's enough people... Um, who have experience that when someone has to go in, if they've never been in the hospital, they bring a buddy that has and kind of do it that way. That's very cool. So you're training people to kind of, yes. you don't have to take yes. them all the time because now there are people that know how to take them. Yeah, well, really every person that gets checked in is required to have a watcher, mm. and that's a person who will pick up um, medicines from the pharmacy or whatever needs to be done. The medical system is very different over there. Um, here, you can just go into a hospital, and if any medicine is needed, they just order it and it mm. comes. There, you have to go over, purchase it, bring it back to the doctor to use. And um, so we get people trained how to be watchers. So what would you say to someone who's interested in missions and also interested in medical work? Would you encourage them to go through nursing training or like schooling before they go overseas? Well, I think if you particularly want to work in medical, that would probably be a good avenue um, to go about it that way. Ultimately, I'm hoping to hand off the medical portion of what I'm doing to the people themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, Our goal is education, Mm -hmm. teaching moms how to take care of their kids, how to recognize the signs of when a baby is really sick things like that. Um, So it just depends on the type of work they want to do. If they really want to do the hands-on medical stuff, yeah, for sure. Um, Whether they want to be a physician assistant, a nurse, um, do relief work, that kind of thing. But if they're looking to do Bible translation in a remote area and medical's just a part of the way they're helping the people, um, there are some other training. So it's a different, you know, it's like, yes, I'm helping medically, but I'm not actually the one most of the time giving that medicine, I'm, I'm getting them connected with where mm-hmm. they need to go. Yeah. Um, but first aid, absolutely. Like even I would think paramedic training or there's one um, called, uh, hold on, I'll think of it. Wilderness first responder mm-hmm. yeah. training would be kind of a good thing too, that um, a wilderness first responder would be someone who's got specific training in giving medication in a context where mm-hmm. there's no access to a doctor. Yeah, so it's really kind of like paramedic training, but it's up a level. Something like that um, would be useful. Or another thing I would suggest for the women um, becoming uh, trained in like lactation consultant work or um, even midwifery mm-hmm. can be hugely helpful because um, a lot of the health issues we deal with are related to pregnancy, childbirth, and the care of newborns. That's mm-hmm. where we have the most critical, you, you know, 
lose a lot of babies if um, they don't have the care. Yeah, just by simple education. Like you don't yes. have to be a, a midwife. Like you don't have to deliver to babies or catch to babies, but yeah, just providing information like mm-hmm. what's a healthy pregnancy. Yeah, that is yeah probably you've talked about that a lot. But or even you know if they could learn how to do a newborn assessment mm-hmm. to look over a baby and say, okay, he's he's good, or oh, there's something troubling here. Mm-hmm. Um, things like that. Yeah, I have a holy fear of medicine. Um, and, uh, I'm very careful about, uh, knowing my limitations and not doing something beyond the scope of my training. So my advice to people who want to be involved, uh, yes, there's definitely things you can do and yes, there's a need. Um, but just accepting and knowing what your limitations are and being okay with that, knowing that God is sovereign and he's put you in that place, not a doctor, but you, and, um, not feeling like you need to do something, um, bold and risky to try, you know, to intervene if you're not qualified to do it. Um, I think it's in the doctor's oath when they, you know, they say to do no harm. And that is a really important concept for me because you're not always going to be able to help every person right. or save every life. Mm-hmm. But what is not an acceptable outcome is that you tried to do something and brought harm to them. Right. So just yeah. really have a holy fear of medicine. There are a lot of um, wonderful medicines in the world, but you have to know when you can use them, who you can use them with, what are those um, mm-hmm. cautions. And uh, yeah, just just a word of caution to mm-hmm. people who um, are living this kind of pioneer lifestyle and um, reading and researching on the internet and trying to learn how to deal with things when there's not a doctor there. Um, it's wonderful that we have access to the internet now and you can instant message um you can facetime with doctors you can talk to nurses back home and and get professional input when you need it so don't take any uh crazy risks as a missionary um yeah just know your limitations that's great advice um so you mentioned like you can't call 911 is it Mm -hmm. like what is it like being these people's only access to medical care? Because you're probably realizing like, oh, I, I might, not only am I these people's only access, but I'm my own family's own access. Is that, yeah. does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. Um, like how would you have, how have you had to trust God in this area? Well, definitely we've had to trust the Lord and every day is new challenges that come up. Um, but it always seems like he provides at just the right time. Um, <laughs> I could share a funny story. When we'd been there less than a year, my husband was building our house. And at the end of the day, after he had been using his skill saw multiple times and he was getting, you know, a little less careful, Mm. and he managed to um, mostly sever his Mm. thumb. And um, so he comes running to me Mm. and he's like, got, you know, he's holding on to it and he's bleeding. And I was like, hmm, this is going to be interesting. Uh, because I had never driven his vehicle. Oh, no. <laughs> and at that time, we had a Suzuki Samurai that would actually go up. Our road was still passable from the landslide. It was still usable at that time. So we'd actually drive straight through the river and in, into the mm. village back then. We don't do that anymore. The road's not as good. Um, but when I saw him there, you know, I got him wrapped up and said, well, I'm going to have to drive you to the hospital, mm. having never driven his beast of a vehicle. And it's not <laughs> automatic, I'm assuming. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. And the gear shifter yeah. is, like I said, a beast. So here we were. And amazingly, God helped me to do it over the mountain through the river. Wow. And um, yeah, the thing never stalled on me. We wow, it's amazing. And uh, got my husband to the hospital. So whatever you need, God provides it at just the right time. Mm. 
and um, yeah, he helped us through that situation. I just love the um, practical ways that you shared with us of how missionaries um, serve. Mm-hmm. That to me is so beautiful because it's showing Christ's love. And yeah. and so I mm-hmm. really appreciate that um, testimony that you shared with us. <laughs> yeah. So in early 2016, the gospel message was presented to the Minobos. Yes. That's really exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, but before I talk about that, like what did the steps look like to get to that point? Like what was the process? Like, Mm -hmm. did you have to have something in place to accomplish this before you shared the gospel? Well, there was a lot of groundwork for sure. Um, like I said, they were already in contact with this village back in 2010, 2011, um, and living, our coworkers were living there, um, before we were able to be, and just the work that they were doing, um, basically community development, helping with medical, um, just all these different practical ways to show love to the people. Mm-hmm. When we first went in, our coworker, Alan, he said, you know, these are the four things that we're going to do. We're going to do community development. We're going to do medical. We're going to do education. And the most important thing, the reason we're coming, is that we have uh, this Bible teaching that we want to do with you. We want to share with you this wonderful message. Mm. And so um, we've been there for, I think it took about four years. There were a lot of delays as far as um, our team all getting up to language level to where they'd be even able to Mm. do the teaching. Like learning the Manobo language? Yes, learning Manobo. And there were different delays and setbacks that our coworkers had that we had. And so we've been in there for about four years, and they said, you know, you guys have done all of these things. You've helped us economically. You've helped us medically. You've helped us educationally because we have a preschool teacher. She'd been doing this program. And you've done all these things, but you said the most important thing was this Bible message that you wanted to bring us. You haven't started teaching. Mm. When are you going to start? Oh, wow. We're all ready. They're asking for it. Yes. And they said, we'll give you three days a week. Wow. We'll all come. We'll get everyone together. We want to hear what you have to say. Wow. And so, yeah, our coworker Alan was the Bible teacher, and he got up to language level and was able to start um, preparing Bible lessons. And so by uh, April of 2015, we were ready to start. And just like they promised, they all showed up. So we said, no, what we're going to do, we're just going to teach two days a week. Friday and Saturday night, we'll do teaching. Sunday morning, what we're going to do is just have everybody kind of like a village meeting like they do all the time, just everybody's sitting around the circle and talk about mm. um, the things that you're learning, um, what you're feeling about it, what you're thinking about it, uh, what you know things you like connect to your life. And mm. so it was kind of good the way it worked out because we kind of had this constant feedback of where they were at. Yeah, you're hearing the process and like yeah. what issues they're struggling with or mm-hmm. concepts they're hard to be a hard time to understand. Yes, and, and we realized mm-hmm. right away where areas were that needed review, where we needed to go over certain concepts that were just not quite clicking for folks. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the things that they were really getting, it's like, okay, they really got that one, but this, they're kind of struggling. Mm-hmm. So you know where to go with the lessons. And if we had to teach a lesson more than once, we, we can do that, you know, yeah. we can do that through review. Um, and so that's kind of how we went about it and um, started in April of uh, 2015 and then uh, finished up January of 2016 mm-hmm. with the final lesson, which mm-hmm. was the resurrection, ascension of Christ. And so uh, all through that time, um, the people were very engaged. 
uh, very interested. And it seemed like as we came towards the conclusion, um, there were a lot of people already putting their faith in Christ before we even got to the mm. death, burial, and resurrection. Once you get to, you know, John three sixteen and Jesus talking with Nicodemus and people are putting the things together. Yeah. They're like, oh yeah, the promised deliverer mm-hmm. and the sacrifice, the Lamb of God. Like they're they're making all these connections. Yeah. And I think for our listeners, I think, because maybe they're not familiar with like the lessons we're talking about oh, here. Oh, okay, sure. But because it's a chronological Bible curriculum. Yes, we start in Genesis. Or, yeah. We teach through Genesis, Exodus, um, several of the Old Testament stories and tie it together. Um, and the final lessons are dealing with the life of Christ. Mm-hmm. So it's probably half in the Old Testament, half life of Christ, mm-hmm. and just kind of introducing who he is and why we would need to believe in him. Yeah, that's what I was like, yeah. why are you starting yeah. there? Because so, like, yeah. they have no concept. They've yeah. never heard about God or Jesus, and um, they ha- might have an idea of this powerful creator spirit, but they don't really know about his character, what he's like. And these stories kind of reveal his character yeah. uh, over time. So that's kind of how we did it. Uh, sorry, I didn't kind of flesh that out or make no, it clear. No, no, I think it's, yeah. I just wanted to make sure, sure we had sure. to clarify that. So. Yeah. And some works that we work in um, don't even have a name for God. So how did yeah. that work with your language? Um, it turns out they did have a name for the creator spirit. So we were able to use that. Um, but it's interesting with animism, what you see is there is often a time of this, you know, uh, there is often an idea of this sort of high up there spirit that started everything, but it seems like he's distant, far mm-hmm. away. But the things that they deal with day to day, they're dealing with spirits um, that control areas where they live. Like they're worried about tripping on a spirit house and angering a spirit, or if somebody gets sick, oh, what what spirit did we anger? So mm-hmm. even though they believe in that higher you know, all-powerful spirit. The ones they deal with day-to-day are these uh, more... Um, like low spirits. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, the day-to-day stuff. So um, that's what we had with our folks as well. They're like, yeah, we know about this creator uh, spirit, but we never really talk about him or think about him. Yeah, yeah. that's why I really like the curriculum because it's mm-hmm. building this foundation of who God is. Like it's addressing, it's not... Like I think if you just started and to think oh, this is God, like, mm-hmm. he loves us, sent Jesus to die from the cross, but their understanding of who God is is totally different. Yeah. Like, Well, even not, understanding yeah. that they need to be saved. Yeah. Because um, you might have a group of people that think they're pretty pretty good. I mean, I think a lot of us kind of feel that <laughs> way by nature. We're like, yeah, I'm a pretty good person. Why, why do I need to be saved from anything? And when you start going through, um, you talk about um, the destruction at Sodom and Gomorrah. You talk about the ark. Mm-hmm. And when God mm-hmm. wiped all life off the face of the earth, and you talk about um, just these different things and the Moses and the Ten Commandments, mm-hmm. yeah, and suddenly, holiness, as you're going through each of these commandments, they're like, "Whoa, whoa! How are we?" And it was always the question of, "What are we going to? How are we going to keep this list of rules? How mm-hmm. are we going to do this?" And you know, of course, yeah, I get some thinking. We can't <laughs> getting them to that point of realizing they can't mm-hmm. that we need God's help. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so what is the time frame for phasing out? Do you have one? At this point, yeah, we don't really know. Yeah. <laughs> We're trusting the Lord because it's one of those things, people's spiritual growth tends to not happen on our mm-hmm. desired time frame. Um, but he brings people along in his own time. And yeah, our goal as missionaries truly is to work ourselves out of a job. Uh, we're training them to, to take the gospel. Um, so that's kind of the point where we are now and what we're looking forward to when we, get, when we get back. And ultimately, I'd like to be able to hand off, even like I said, the portion of the medical that mm-hmm. I do, um, but it'll be when I'm a further 
point along in my language learning, able to train uh, ladies to do that kind of thing. And yeah, the point where we're at in the work right now, um, we've had believers for about three years. And so we're hoping um, to see leadership uh, raised up out of that group. And um, so that's kind of the point we're at. We're wanting to hand over um, leadership of the church to the people to train them as Bible teachers. Mm-hmm. And um, well, that's, I mean, we're, again, like we're trying to see the big picture and we want to see a mature church plant. Yeah. And you can't just go in there, plant the church, oh, yeah. there's believers, and then leave. Like, right. Like, I don't think that's happened in my life. I don't think no. I became a believer. Well, I mean, I became a believer and then someone discipled me. Yeah. And then, yeah, I just keep growing and growing. So we need someone, like mm-hmm. you guys are going to stay there and disciple people to the, yeah. the, yeah, come to a good understanding of who Christ is and God and yeah, the Bible. So that's yeah. really exciting. So what do you think God has been teaching you through your time in cross-culture ministry? Um, flexibility and humility. Mm. And... Um, just a willingness to throw away preconceived ideas and uh, learn something new. Hmm. So just keeping a, a learner's heart. Hmm. That's what you see. Yeah. Well, that was a great conversation we had with Marianne, and it was so good to meet her and hear how she's been involved in gospel spreading work in the Philippines. If you're interested in medical work and missions, check out ethnos.ca slash go to see the needs around the world. Thanks for listening.